And we have been going through the study, of course, of our um, of the Lord uh, of uh, of the the problems. Excuse me, as we get started on a Sunday morning, um, that the Church of Colossae, of course, which was started from the Church of Ephesus, a guy named Epaphras, from what we understand, in chapter nineteen of Acts got saved under the ministry of Paul in Ephesus, and he went to Colossae in that tri-city area of Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea, and uh, he started at least one, maybe all three churches, who knows, but um, God greatly blessed his ministry. But um, then we see with, like every church, every church is filled with people, and people have problems, and we have different cultures, different attacks in different areas of the world. Well, this area was the Napa Valley of its day or the Simi Valley of its day. So, uh, of, um, this, these were very wealthy people or wealthy towns. And uh, of course, Laodicea was a rich town. Of course, uh, the Lord says that you're rich, but you, you don't realize what you're lacking. But um, as a result of that, they were better educated. And we see that the philosophies of the Greek culture was very was paramount in the book uh, in the uh, in the city of Colossae, and they had problems with all the isms. They had aestheticism, which uh, you know I could be better if uh, if I just explore the arts and the world and education and all that uh, pleasure has to bring from uh, my great mind. And then you had the stoicism, which is. The idea of uh, uh, I can be better by master of myself. And then if you had the legalism and all the different things that, uh, and then of course you had to mix all that together with that great temple that was up on the hill and where you can go and uh, you could either practice uh, asceticism and you could have uh, uh, all kinds of immorality going on, both male and female, and all kinds of different things that were just going on in the name of God uh, there in that city. And you had different people that were, that they were trying to draw uh, Christians off into different sects like um, um, you know, feast days and, uh, and, and, and keeping of the Sabbaths and of um, the different things such as um, the uh, different things as far as a list of things you had to do, legalism, as far as that will be what makes you righteous. And so he came through all that. But then we see, and he talks about that, and he warns them about that in the first two chapters. And he was really very doctrinal about it. And what he does is set up that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Let's keep our minds on him and everything else will be in order. And let's make sure that we're paying attention to what he commands and not all these isms and things that people want to add to our faith. And then in chapters, uh, so we see that in the first chapters one and two. And uh, of course, we, we see the great idea in him, all things are preeminent or God, God is preeminent. He's all in all. He's the one person we want to look at. But then in chapters three and four, which is um, kind of the pattern of Paul's epistles, he'll give you the doctrinal section and then he will give you the practical section. And we started last week on Christ, who is our life? 
it, we are, you know, Christ is everything. He's, you know, I was saved if, as a result of that. I became a new creation. All things have passed away, but all, all things, behold, all things became new in my life. And so I have a new life in Christ, and you do too, if you know the Lord Jesus. And so he says, if you've been then, of course, going back to chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, if then ye were raised with Christ, and we saw the three S's there, seek those things which are above, um, which are in Christ, um, sitting on the right hand of God, set your mind. In other words, you're going to focus. You seek them. And you focus on the goal. You focus on knowing Christ. And so you set your mind on things above, on all the things on earth. And then, of course, in verse 5, we had to make up an S there. But the slave, we mortify the deeds of the flesh. And so, yes, if you want to call that asceticism or whatever else, no, it's a godly discipline of uh, knowing what's right from wrong and asking God to give us wisdom in knowing right from wrong and knowing uh, that uh, simply because we don't uh, speak filthy language or that we don't blaspheme or that we don't have anger, wrath, and malice doesn't make us righteous. That's just things that God says we're to cast off. Now, but we do see that righteousness has two different prongs. One is the abstinence and the keeping our flesh under. And the other is the is the uh, going for, forward for the Lord, and that is um, the idea of aggressiveness, if you want to call it that, or that um, that as a Christian, as love, we want to uh, we want to realize that it is a work, that it is something. It, it's, okay, the word is initiative. So we have um, we have on one end. One side, the discipline of the mind. And then on the other end, we have the initiative of going forward. So we see that he says uh, in chapter, uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, he says that we're to put off these things. And that's a conscious discipline. That is an aggressiveness. That is going forward uh, for the Lord. Um, that is initiative. That is something that when you just don't sit back and do it, you have to decide. You're going, and as Paul, as we see that Daniel purposed in his heart that he was going to serve the Lord. And so we see that it's a purpose. It's a desire. But so we see that it is an active state of the mind. It's not just lay back and say, let go and let God. No, it is something that we have to master in our lives. But uh, we've looked at those, and we don't want to. We, uh, the one thing we want to concentrate on though is verse um, twelve, though, and we put off these things. So that is an active state of mind. We are going forward. We are wanting to slay the flesh. But now in verse twelve, he says, "Put on." Now, verse twelve is what we want to concentrate on today. Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore or a wherefore. You want to look at why, or you want to see what, why it is there. So he's saying, you, you do all this, you put off these things, you seek those things which are above, you set your mind on them, you uh, slay the flesh, you put off these old things, but now, therefore, when you, uh, that's, the, that's just the first step. The second step now is to put on things. We call that the principle of replace, replacement. Whenever... It's, it's better as a Christian 
to crowd your life out with so many godly things that it crowds out the bad things. You just don't sit back. Uh, someone has said idleness is the devil's workshop. Well, you just don't sit back and be passive. You know, as a Christian, we see that uh, there is an aggressive, we, we fight battles, there's aggressiveness. Uh, we've been looking at Psalm 119. And in Psalm 119, you see the battle in the mind and in the heart of that man as he is battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he, is, he set his mind. I he set my mind on serving the Lord and to, to loving the Lord with all my heart and mind. And yet we see that how his mind could wander and how that he had to keep refocusing on the things of God. And so we see, therefore, as the elect of God, um, now, of course, I, that's your identity, is that uh, you now have, you have become God's elect. You are set apart ones. You are now, you are holy and beloved. Not because you were holy, but because God made you holy. God declared you righteous. And as a result of that, uh, the shed blood has cleansed us from all of our sins, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. He says, you're beloved. You've been accepted into the beloved. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1. We have become part of God's family. And so as a result of that, we are, we are in God's orbit. We are, in his, we are the elect. Uh, we are holy, not because we are holy, but because he is holy and he has chosen to make us holy by cleansing us from every spot and stain. And we are accepted into the beloved. He says, put on there. Okay, now we've said that this is initiative. This isn't something that you just sit back and say, oh, it'll come to me through osmosis of the Holy Spirit. I'll just live for the Lord and he'll just take over my life and there won't be any effort. There will be peace. No, these are some disciplines that we need to put in our lives. Uh, Paul told, told Timothy, in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, uh, one of my favorite verses, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that sound mind can be translated disciplined mind. So God wants to give us a disciplined mind and knowing where to, how to put off things and to put on things. And so it's, Christian life is not just passive, sit back and concentrating on what I don't do, it's very important that we figure out what we are, are to do. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. And so there's an initiative there that we must take. We've got to get up and do it. It just doesn't come automatically. And so there is a battle of the mind. Notice now what he tells us. He gives us, gives us a list. He says, put on, therefore, uh, tender mercies. And of course, that's the idea of a gentleness, a caring for other people. And, uh, and others focus. He says, kindness. Kindness is doing something for someone like God did for us. It was unmerited. It's a, it's a form of grace. It's you are, when I open a door for someone that I don't even know and hold it open so they can go through, uh, I don't even know them, but I'm being kind to them. Am I not? They don't deserve it. Well, maybe they do. But I want to show my kindness 
And sometimes whenever, especially in these days, big old burly guy like me, and you open a door and little old ladies coming through, I'll just, and they're kind of wondering what's happening because they've never had a door open, I guess, for them before. I'll say, well, I'm just pra- trying to practice my chivalry, you know, and they'll smile or whatever. But it's uh, the idea of wanting, I'm looking for ways of being kind to people. And wanting to, I, so I'm putting this on, I'm looking, how can I be kind to this person who's acting like, a jerk. <laughs> I, I guess I'm got to come out of those those, those terms. That, uh, that sounds so worldly, but at the same time, you know, there's a the world is full of them. But how can I treat people kindly who are not kind? And so, how do I practice this humility? Now, that's a hard one. I like what Spurgeon says there. Humility is a strange thing. The moment you think you have it. You just lost it. <laughs> so it's, uh, but it's the idea of putting others first uh, and the idea of the only, I am what I am by the grace of God, no more, no less. But uh, I'm not out tooting my own horn. I'm looking for ways of putting others first, kindness and so forth. Meekness is power under control. And again, the idea that I, uh, the Lord was meek and lowly. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He was meek and lowly. He could have destroyed those people that were against him any time in his ministry, but he didn't. He calmed the seas, that's power, but he protected the disciples. And so he was, he was meek. And so, and so that's power under control. Long-suffering is one. And there again, these are many of the, these are the fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and we'll see that in just a moment, but uh, that's the center thing. But um, long-suffering, that's putting up with people. Uh, like uh, I've always remember uh, a pastor, I don't know exactly where I heard it, but it just popped in my mind, it's always remembered. But uh, one pastor, one time that I heard, and I, don't even, I can't even picture him, but he said, you know, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. You know, to, he was saying, it's rough being in the ministry. And the people can drive you crazy. But that's what you're there for, is the people. And so, um, you know, it's great for people. Oh, pastor, and they think you have a halo over your head. No, the ministry's rough. Uh, you have to go to a funeral uh, two or three hours after you took, just ca- took care of the sewer backup in the church or whatever. So you got all these things that are going on in your life and you're trying to be pleasant to people in spite of the fact of the turmoil that might be going on in your own life. But um, he says, uh, long-suffering, bearing one another. What's that? That's a good old word for what? Putting up with people. Putting up with people uh, and forgiving one another. Those are two things. Now, where else in the world, very few other places, if any, are you going to have a group of people coming from all different walks of life, and they're going to sit next to each other. You can have a doctor, and you can have a ditch digger on the same pew. You can have a maid and a homecoming queen on the same, you know, the same Sunday school class. You can have all these different groups of people and yet they can come together and pray together in one accord. Where else in the world will you have that? 
And where else in the world is the unity and the love of the Spirit, and where can it be displayed better than in a Christ-honoring church? Where there's neither bond nor free, nor uh, male or female, all, we're all saved and under the grace of God. Where else? And that's why we're hearing today this whole idea of, oh, I want to worship at home and people. And, and yet, I, we're on the internet now, and I hope anybody that is uh, listening to us is going to be blessed today. But uh, my goal, unless you are physically incapacitated, you need to be around Christian people. You need to be and put up with them. You need a ministry. You need to something where you can pour at least part of your life into other people. You, gotta, you need to put up with some people that are obnoxious. You need to learn, and we all need to learn how to take their rough hewn. I like what uh, just happened today. Uh, people are nasty. We got this little, what do they call that box out there where the people come in and they put food. It's right next to our property out here. And, uh, and then other people that are needy come by and get it. Well, somebody last night, it wasn't there last night when I left, so it had to be between... Uh, seven o'clock and then nine o'clock this morning. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, somebody just went in there and took all the rest of the, the, the food that was in there and just dumped it on the ground and it's all wet and snowy out there. Uh, that's obnoxious. That's mean. Why, why would people do that? Why do people do the things they do? Why, do people, why are people violent one to another? Of course, in the extreme of that is... Uh, why does someone think that they could take a, you know, they could go into a, uh, a group of people that are different ethnic than they are and, and you know, rape and kill and murder them simply because they hate them? I mean, so that's the extreme. But, uh, but there again, that's the extreme we're going to come into our country if we don't turn back to God. And so we see why, why do people, why are people so obnoxious? And I like what uh, David, or what uh, I've mentioned before, um, uh, one time I was reading about where, Paul, where David said, all men are liars, Lord. And he was just mad in the book of Psalms. And he, in other words, they're just a bunch of jerks. And that's the way I interpret it. And there's that word again. I'm going to get rid of it. But, um, um, and I was, went on visitation with uh, Jim Lang, one of my great men in the ministry. He's with the Lord now. But, oh, you just look back in the ministry and you, those, those people that every time you think about them, your heart warms again. But, oh, Jim came home. He worked at IBM. And he came and he said, Preacher, I'm convinced that the world is full of jerks. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, I just read that. That's what David said, you know. And we were, and so, uh, you know, but um, now most of you are Christians and you're much higher plane than I am and you don't have those problems, right? <laughs> no, we all have them. I mean, and, but there again, if I'm a Christian, I will just know how to handle that and it'll just bounce off of me. It doesn't bounce off, it hurts. It just, those are things we've got to learn that simply because we're saved, things just don't bounce off. We've got to work at it. And how are you kind? How do you, how do you be kind to those who, uh, who use you and, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for, for your name's sake? How do you, how do you say, you know that person doesn't like you because you're saved and they're trying to destroy you. How do, you, how do you stay kind to them in the office? 
That's a hard one. That's a difficult one. You have to work at it. It doesn't just come. And like I said, I, I, when I, there were certain things that when I was in the service that I just couldn't put up with. I just, uh, I saw, even though I was a young, struggling Christian, um, I got to the point where I realized some of it was phony. And I read this track one time, and this guy, uh, he was a serviceman, and he got saved, and uh, boy, he was everything. And uh, he would pray beside his bed and all that, and people would show, uh, throw boots at him and all this stuff, and he would polish their boots and send them back. I'm going, I'd never do that. If somebody threw boots at me, I'd probably pick them up and throw them back. I mean, that was just me, you know. I mean, I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I was that person who had a halo over his head. But I got mad at people at times, even as a Christian. You don't get mad at people, do you? You're so sweet. You're, uh, I've never seen you really mad. Okay, you bow. But... <laughs> No, but, uh, and, and that's the thing I've told about, uh, on, about uh, you is, uh, and I won't want to mention names on the internet, but uh, because it's so sweet, but I've never seen you really mad, but you've got those Spanish eyes that I know that you could probably cut me to pieces if you was really mad. Now, I know what my wife can do whenever she looks at me, but, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I've never seen that, praise the Lord, but, you know, one day I will. I mean, the longer that we're around each other, you're going to have to put up with me. I mean, and I'm going to put up with you. Uh, that's just the way life is. And, but there again, where else in the world are we to come together and learn how to do that? Then in a, where should it be uh, exemplified? Where should it be um, demonstrated better than a church? I <laughs> like, uh, you know, there was a, a doctor that was going to a church I attended, to, attended when I was younger. And um, there, there was a, a guy that would come up to him all the time and ask him medical questions. Well, that's, you know, I would encourage if we have doctors coming here not to do that, you know. Uh, but, you know, the doctor was very kind and he learned how to. But then again, I've heard of doctors uh, that uh, he saw something, a spot on the lady's back or on her back of her neck. And uh, he wrote her a little note in the church service and saved her life. So you see that goes back and forth. But, uh, you know. Um, Did he charge her afterwards? No. He just told her she needed to get it. She needed to have it checked out. No, he didn't charge her. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he saved her life. But so those are things go back and forth. But you've got to learn how to put up with people. And that doctor was very gracious to learn how to deal with that old pauper that came in, was always wanting free medical advice or free, free whatever. Well, uh, and we all have that. Uh, simply because you're a plumber doesn't mean you need to fix everybody's uh, uh, septic tanks free of charge or whatever. No, business is business. And that's why if I deal with business and my, with my people, I said, don't treat me any different than you're going to treat anybody else. Because I'm not here as a pastor to come and, you know, get freebies. And uh, so, you know, I don't like going, I'm a pastor, so should I get this free? No, I don't do that. Now, every once in a while, some, oh, you're the pastor down here. uh, Hey, this is free. Well, okay, I'm not going to reject it, but I'm not going to come in there all the time and expect it. Does that make sense? And so it is in life. You learn how to deal with people. But if people are going to be that way to me, I want to be that way to others. Right? I mean, so we learn how to give and take and put up with people and be kind to one another. And so these are all things that come in a church. So we've got to learn how to work that 
Uh, someone has said the church will always be imperfect because you will have people in different and various stages of growth in the church. You're going to have those hotheads who have never learned how to control it. And you're going to have those people who have, are the, the, uh, the passive people that they've got to learn how to come out of their shell a little bit. So you're going to have all those different types of people in a church. So how do we learn how to love one another and put up with one another? And so those are the things that he is saying here. So he said, bearing one another and forgiving. Now, that's a difficult one. But that's the one, uh, one uh, exposition that the Lord gives of the Lord's Prayer. He, only, he explains that one passage, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. That's the only part of that prayer that he explains. And what does he say there? If you, don't, if you don't forgive others, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. And so that is a difficult one in these days where people have microaggressions and they're walking around with their feelings on their shoulders. But then they're at the opposite extreme of that, those who have been hurt very deeply through molestation or attack or, or you know, all kinds of, of different things that have happened in their lives. And how do you learn to forgive? And so these are things, how do we forgive one another? And if anyone has a complaint against uh, another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So you also must do. So this is a must-do thing. We've got to learn to do it. And folks, I still have to learn to do it. Because there are a couple of things in my life, every time I think about it too long, but I'm learning more and more the, the, the trigger. And that is, Lord, you tell me to pray for him, so I'm going to pray for him. And so don't, let, don't relive the situation over and over again. You know, the Lord, when he said, how often should we forgive somebody? 70 times 70 or 7 times 70? Uh, 7 times 70 is 490 times. Does that mean that you should turn the cheek, your cheek 40, 490 different times? No, because by that time you'd be dead, you know. But he is saying that every time you think about it, you got to forgive them again. So it's a mental discipline. And so we forgive people over and over again in our minds. We don't, we try our best not to carry a grudge. And so he says, you must do that. If not, you're going to limit your uh, fellowship with the Lord. And you're going to limit your ministry. I rem uh, uh, back in my early ministry, I think my, pa my father-in-law and I were going with a group of pastors from Mobile to uh, northern Alabama, from, I think it was around Montgomery or farther, uh, to a certain uh, um, preacher's meeting. And I invited him along with me, but he was down visiting. I think we were having one of our kids. Excuse me. <laughs> I wish we could blurp some of the... Or, uh, you know, take some of that stuff out, uh, edit some of that uh, that we have on the internet. If that, you know, the burp that was heard around the world. Sorry about that. But, uh, um, but you know, we were going, and there was an old uh, war horse that, have, that a lot of the preachers knew. We were in a van, and they were asking him all kinds of questions about the past and about uh, the, the, their little group of people and some of the battles they'd been through. And he could tell you everything that was wrong with every preacher that they mentioned. 
And uh, when I got back after about three hours of that and back and forth from uh, you know the trip, I talked to my my uh, father-in-law, and I was uh, probably only about th in my early 30s at the time. I said, you know, if I'm like that in my 70s and 80s, I hope the Lord just doesn't let me be in the ministry in my 40s. I don't want. I mean, and but there are people that I in my ministry. That have been in my mind, that every time I think about them, I have to, I have to trigger that and Lord, pray for them rather than relive the hurt. Have you? We all have. And so, again, forgiving one another and then being nice to those people. I remember uh, uh, the Lord really taught me a lesson there. Um, we, um, there were three, various, you know, there's two or three that have really, that really hurt, that were deep. But uh, there were two, three, about three people in my uh, in Michigan, when we were leaving, that um, that had I got to the point where I just wanted to avoid them because they were just really mean people, and they'd said some things, but I'd forgiven them. But, but you know, just you don't want to see them again. The Lord, the Lord has ways of really humili or humbling you, not humiliating. But uh, I think I think Timothy was with me. But uh, we went to a Walmart uh, that day, uh, the, one of the last days we were there. And guess what? We ran into all three people <laughs> at Walmart. Three of them at one time, you know, people that you never wanted to see again, except maybe in heaven. And we were nice and they were gracious back and forth. But I say, Lord, you really know how to do it. <laughs> so again, but you've got to learn. But, you know, look back on it. Those people have their problems. And, you know, I imagine they might, I might have deserved some of it. But who cares? I mean, it's, you know, you must forgive. And so, again, he says, now, you've got to put off. You've got to do these things. This isn't passive. This is good old grit and determination that you're going to serve God. So you're putting these things on. But notice what he says here and what we've said before. Love always takes the initiative. Love doesn't just sit back with an emotion. Love does something. Paul called it a labor of love in Ephesians chapter, or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You do things. Love works. Love does something. So he says, but above all these things, put on love. Oh, I just love everybody, and everybody loves me. And no, that's not love. Love is doing something. Love is going out there when you know that mess is out there, but there, but you want to have it cleaned up enough that the next person come by can pick up some food or whatever. Then uh, you go out there and clean it up a little bit, simply because you want other people to share in the blessings of that community box out there. Well. Uh, you said, well, I didn't really think about love. Well, there wasn't an emotion there. No, you just did something because that's, you know, love is, love is a work as much as it is an emotion. That uh, song that uh, my kids, all these musicals my kids are used to listen to, but that, song, that, uh, that one, show me, you know, they keep saying, you say you don't like this, but show me, show me. Well, show me your love. And that's what the world is looking for. You say you love, show me. But show me uh, does not mean that you love them in their sin. And what I mean by that is uh, 
I can't, oh, there was a big um, situation that came up this past, well, last two or three weeks. And there's a pastor that I highly respect and listen to him. He's a fantastic preacher. And I love every once in a while when I want to be preached to, I'll turn to some of his messages. But uh, somebody asked him a question and, um, and he talked about homosexuality and about should you go to a gay wedding and so forth. Well, you know, the Bible calls that an abomination. God doesn't recognize gay weddings. And so I can't either. And his advice was, you know, go along to get along. And no, I've got, I will, if someone asks me to a gay wedding or to preach a gay wedding, I'll let you say no. Does that, uh, am I mean? Is, am I unloving? No, I just cannot do that. I love my kids, but I told my kids growing up, there are certain things that you're welcome to my house anytime. I'll help you anyway. But if there are certain things you're doing, you're not welcome when you're older. And they know that. But praise the Lord, they also respect me enough not to even ask. But then again, they don't do it. You know, and then now they've got their own houses, and I hope they have the same values. But, um, but you know, love, if I see a person going off the cliff, I don't uh, jump on their back and say, I love you, brother. No, I try to do everything I can to keep them from going off the cliff, do I not? So I lovingly say, you know, God does not, you know, I cannot do that because of what God's word says. And I think you're making a big mistake. And I'll try to be as honest as I can with people. And, oh man, the first, one of the first things that I, the first time, first big problem I had in the ministry, I was 27 years old. I went to this church and uh, the family had been there about 20 years and their daughter wanted to get married to some guy that was, I mean, it was really a mess. And I told him I couldn't do it. Oh, man. As a 27-year-old single preacher, I thought I was already a failure. You know, I was the meanest guy. I mean, I was a young, well, who is he to say that he won't? Boy. But I couldn't do it. Well, they went and got something married, and they stayed married about two or three months. You know? But, and, but they would never come back and say, Pastor, you're right, either. You know, they just left the church because the preacher's so mean. Well, no, I loved them enough to say, I can't do this because this is against God's word. And folks, anything in God's word is good. So I want to lead them in the paths of righteousness as God leads us. And that's off the cliff, not over the cliff, but away from the cliff. And so certain times you have to tell people you love them, but this is what God says. And oh, and expect the wrath. That will come as a result. And so, yes, uh, he says, uh, but I'll put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, what is he meaning by that? He's saying that is the evidence of your maturity. Perfection is the idea you're going on to perfection. You're going on to the maturity as a Christian. So the world needs to see what true love is. And it should come from the church because God is love. So how do we perfect that love? How do we show it? How do we develop it? How does it become part of the culture of a church? With all, and of course, it's always going to be tested. And you're going to have different people coming in at different times not knowing exactly what love is. Well, how do you teach them? 
And so we see that he says this. Is, he says, so here we, we see we identify ourselves with Christ. Then we see the idea of our practice and our, our activity in Christ and the attitudes that we have uh, toward others bec- through Christ. But then also we see this inner power that we get because of the Lord. And this is back in verse 15. That word let is an interesting word. And let, of course, he that, we see that it's used over in the Second Thessalonians about he that letteth. But it's the idea of allow. It's allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts. Now, how do you allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts? You've got to give him access. You've got to say, welcome, Lord. Teach me thy ways. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to surrender and say, Lord, whatever you want in my life, I know. I want to be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine. So how do I allow that peace of God? Rule, no, rule in my heart. That means it's got to overcome certain things. So let it rule in my heart. Lord, give me that peace that passes understanding. That's the goal in my life. Uh, let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you are called in one body. There's that unity again. Uh, in which you are called in one body. And here's the key. And be thankful. Now all through, uh, 27 times, Paul alone tells us to be thankful in his writings. But look, just let's turn back and see what he says about that here in uh, Colossians. The Christians should be known for their love and their thanksgiving. That is why Thanksgiving is such a great holiday in America is because of the, pure, the pilgrims that came over and practiced it in spite of all the hardships they went through. And we can go into that. Our time is fle- uh, fleeting. But um, notice he says in ver- chapter 1, in verse 12, um, let's see. I'm going to get a, a Bible that has all the numbers off to the side of these paragraphs are nice in reading, but when you want to find one, you have to find it sometimes in the middle of a, of a column. But he says, giving, he says, well, let's, he says, um, let's go back to um, verse 11. He says, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, uh, for uh, with all patience, long suffering, there's that word again, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers. So we're, we give thanks to God. So notice, notice that's characteristic. Notice in verse, chapter 2, verse 7. Again, he says uh, uh, in verse 6, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with what? Thanksgiving. And so again, we see time after time, chapter, I'll just give you some other verses. First, chapter 3, verse 10, and then chapter 3, verse 17. In chapter 4, verse 2, he talks about thanks, thanking God. Over and over again, he talks about that's a characteristic of a Christian. So so there should be two characteristics in our lives that people see immediately. And one is that we're we're thankful people. uh, And then the other is that uh, that, uh, we are loving people. 
Now, the thankfulness should probably, probably with people that don't know us, should come out first with our disposition. And then, of course, as they, we develop that care for them, they see that we really do love people. And so that, you know, it's, um, someone has said, I like the term, I just heard it on the way to church this morning. I turned on the radio and some guy was preaching or whatever. They said uh, that it is better to shine the light than to curse the darkness. Isn't that true? Lord, uh, help me to shine the light. Help me to show people the joy and the love of the Lord rather than cursing the darkness. But the world's getting pretty bad today, isn't it? Let's talk about it. You see what's going on in Washington? Man, life is a sewer there. It's a swamp, isn't it? Boy, look what's happening over in the Middle East. Well, what, look what's happening right here. And look at all the corruption that's going We can talk about that all we want to. In the day, last days, men are going to wax worse and worse. We know that. Is that what we want to concentrate on all the time, though? Or do we say where sin abounds, grace does much more abound? Let's see what God can do. And so let's shine the light. Now, we're going to curse the darkness at times, but let's make sure that we shine the light. And uh, even when we have, to, as we mentioned earlier, about things we can't do and that we can't condone, even with that, can we do it as much as possible with love, knowing that it's not going to be returned the same way? Can we put up with the, with the aftermath of loving people? And so, again, we see these are the things that God tells us to do. Oh, boy, we're already running out of time. But just notice very quickly in verse 16, let the word of God, there's that other word, let it, allow it. You're going to give access to the, to the Bible. You're going to study it. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. Oh, did you? Boy, I love it when someone says, Pastor, you know, I was just studying the Bible and they, boy, and all of a sudden God spoke to me. You know, and boy, I never saw that before. Well, isn't that good? That's admonishing one another. People get excited about the Bible. Or, Pastor, you said something that made me go home and just study it, or whatever, you know? Back and forth. There should be that give and take and in the ministry, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making uh, uh, with grace to your heart. Um, anybody ever heard of Charlotte Elliott? Charlotte Elliott was, I think, about 200 years ago, but she was an English lady, and uh, she went through some problems in life, a very godly lady, good poet, and so forth, but uh, she, had, she had some reversals when she was about uh, in her 20s, and it really set her back quite a bit, but then in, the th in her 30s, she developed uh, some type of disease that gave her constant pain, and she got very upset with God. And uh, her family had uh, the preacher over one day. And she unloaded on him. How could God do this? And she went back to her study or whatever and slammed the door. Well, the pastor and went back and knocked on it and started talking to her. He said, you know, and he, he decided not to say, you shouldn't do that. He said, you know, we all have our problems, but God loves you just the way you are. And, you know, God can still use you in spite of your pain-wrecked body. And he just talked to her like that without saying you shouldn't do this. Well, he left, and she sat down and started thinking about the Lord. 
And she penned this little tune that we know today, or this little uh, poem that we know today. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Isn't it interesting how that God, once he gets our hearts right, and that was 200 years ago, she's still blessing us today. Isn't it interesting what God can do through our pain and sorrow if we'll let him, if we'll let him let the word of God dwell in our hearts. Oh my, we got close. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, use us for your glory, Lord. Use the pain and the sorrows to develop us and mature us and to make us the child of God that can show the love of God in our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.